Welcome to Fun is Fundamental. Fun is Fundamental is a podcast for those who realize that the enjoyment of life is about having something deep in our souls which lights our fire. It's for those who maybe have lost that fire and feel like they are missing out on the pleasures of life. In each episode, I will share recent fun activities and focus on why having fun is essential for good health. I'm your host, Alenia, and I invite you to take this journey with me and join the pleasure-seeking movement. Good morning, Kimberly. How are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you doing, Lelania? I'm doing quite well. Um, I guess first, um, can you tell the audience a bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. Well, first of all, it's so great to be with you all today. And I hope your day's either starting off or ending really well whenever you're listening to this podcast. So I have been at the service of assisting individuals and groups to live from greater places of peace and joy and freedom in their lives and to discover that all they need to live this quality of life lies right within themselves. And I've been about this really all my life, but out in the world professionally for about 22 years. And how, how did you get started doing this work? <laughs> you know, it's so funny because it's a long story and a short story at the same time. <laughs> when I was a little girl, about the age five or six, I started having these experiences that I call mystical experiences or unitive experiences. And I'm a big believer that all children are living very much in these realms. It's just that as we grow, sometimes we don't remember these amazing experiences. But what happened for me is I began to directly discover that everything in life is a potential for living a life of grace and miracles, that everything in life is geared towards our happiness, towards us living a life of freedom, towards us being of service in an effortless way. And from that, from that set of insights, my entire trajectory has been formed and it's been take, it's taken so many shapes and forms, as you know, because we got to talk privately uh, in my early twenties, I was so on fire. And at that time it was on fire for love of God. I don't use that language so much anymore, but it was very powerful for me to experience the unconditional love of a creator source and to find myself excited about my life in relation to that. So to give me the opportunity to explore that more, I joined a monastery and in monastic life, I had the good fortune to live off the land, to chant and meditate up to seven hours a day with 19 other women, to live in community and to explore getting to know myself in a container that was largely silent, not 100% silent, but largely silent. And I let my meditation and my prayer and my life be also simultaneously in service that the world can be healed as well. So that was very rich and transformative and healing. And in that process, it set me up for saying yes to something I never thought I would ever do. And that was to build a monastery. And if you're listening, I have a TED talk that's really amazing about it. But I was only 29 years old and I was so simple and my life was so clear that I could hear clearly a call. And that call was to build the monastery. But <laughs> honestly, I didn't think that meant that I would build the monastery. I didn't think it was going to be, I'm going to be the general contractor, or I'm going to be one of the designers. I simply thought it was a big yes to it happening for our community. But lo and behold, not long after I discovered that my role was actually going to be the pioneering one who had no experience and our monastic community, we didn't have a lot of money either. So this miracle of this project and the hundreds of people that contributed to it further my development to understand that first we're called to greatness, every one of us, 
And greatness could be drinking a cup of tea with great love. It's not about what a monastery looks like. And that that answering that call is our greatest fulfillment. And when I saw it, like the metal hit the road, that it wasn't just in the silence and the meditation, but actually in relationship with others and resulting in a project where you could see it materially. I was primed, even though I didn't know it, to move from monastic life out into the world and to be of service to helping others discover this part of themselves. And again, to discover that greatness isn't what we think it is. It's it's quite different. It's about a quality of living. And I like I love the use of the word fun in your podcast because we we kind of take that word for granted when when people talk about being successful or accomplishing your dreams or meeting your goals. Oftentimes what's laid to the side is the importance of that, of play and of realizing that actually our lives are simply part of a divine playground. We're here playing to discover these things. So I loved, I loved your podcast with that. So that's what I've been doing since then, leading retreats, giving talks, writing books. And this book that just came out, Miracles in the Naked Light, is about that building project. So it's very dramatic and beautiful. You sound you sound you sound like you were really wise um, at a very young age. Uh, <laughs> were there ever any times when you had any doubt about all of the directions that you were going, or did you just were you able to trust in the process and the the messages you were getting? Yeah, thank you. It's a great question. Uh, I was not freed from what's part of the human experience, discouragement, doubt, uncertainty. Uh, I can say that I always felt a certain unspoken confidence that somehow even there I was being held, uh, but being guided or knowing what to do wasn't always there for me. And in my late teens, I, I've gone through, I think we all go through cycles, right? We, we come to a certain level of personal development and then something new is introduced and we're called then to grow and learn from that. Um, but my first really, really big dark night happened in my late teens. And that's where I doubted. I'm, as you can tell, by the way, I talk, I'm very passionate. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm excited about things. I'm excited about life, learning, people, And I'm very passionate about everything. And I doubted that that was good. So part of my very personality, I came to almost 100% belief that it wasn't good to be so passionate, that somehow that wasn't holy, that somehow that, that shining out in my fullness hurt others. Uh, it, like that that adage that Nelson Mandela is uh, attributed with about letting your light shine, that that actually lets others people's light shine. We don't shine our light and people diminish. We shine it and people are amplified. But in that period of my development, I didn't understand that. I thought it was either or. And I felt that I my personality was so strong that maybe that just wasn't a good thing. So it took me to a very dark place within myself, a lot of discouragement about life and why I was here. But ultimately, after two and a half years of really struggling mentally, I kept trying to figure it out. I wasn't able to let go. No, I was I was wrestling with it like so many of us do about things in our life. I really let go. I mean, I really let go. And when I really let go, I was washed of the misconception and I was given the understanding that to be passionate is spiritual, is beautiful in our world. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely feel like there's a lot of people that struggle with that idea that there's enough, there's enough light for everyone, you know, like that Mm -hmm. by you, 
being your your full self and you taking up room and things like that that like so, like suddenly you are diminishing or taking away from someone else having that ability um why i mean why do you think like so many people struggle with just like fully being who they are and being okay with taking up room and things like that right i know that's a that's a, such a big question and i think there's as i'm reflecting off the cuff i think there's a couple different answers that come to me the first is that in the collective consciousness we're taught that to be the least to not be seen to not be heard that somehow that is more of service there are so many spiritual traditions that that get interpretations i don't think the essence of the tradition says it but i think the interpretation is put yourself last always put yourself last always and and it's been it's created a conditioning that to use the voice to shine out to go ta ta you know <laughs> that somehow that's self-centered that it's egotistical or arrogant or self-seeking. And I think we're just growing in humanity. And I think these, I'm 56, and I think the younger generations are paving the way where they're beginning to erase some of that. And they're saying, no, that doesn't, no, that doesn't jive. That doesn't make any sense. And they're a little freer. I think that's one reason. Another is that it can be scary. I mean, you know, it's scary to face our fears, but it's also scary to face our beauty. Um, I know it can be very undoing when, when goodness comes through us. There's something very humbling about when we step into our fullness or our power or our, our light and we start shining it. It can be confusing. We can feel ungrounded. We can wonder where we belong. We cannot know what to do. And very often we experience rejection and we experience loss of some of the uh, things we thought kept us safe, you know, like uh, friendships or career choices or that, that are, that are building us into this idea of stability, that if we shine out our light, what's going to happen? Will we fit in there anymore? Will we lose that friend? Will we have to find a different job? You know, it, it hits on those survival needs. So I think those are two of the really big ones. And what I, what I love being of service at is when, when you have a support system, a human being that's a mentor and a friend or a community or a course you're taking or a book you're reading, you get to touch in on yourself just a little bit. And as you touch in and experience that it's safe to open up to the light that you are, then you touch in a little more and a little more. And the light itself heals you of the misconceptions and fears. I think it's only really by doing it that we come through those challenges. I don't think that we can get it all worked out and hold it at arm's distance and then trust. I think we have to trust <laughs> and then grow confidence <laughs> yeah sure I can totally understand that <laughs> yes well I mean just generally when you talk when you you know think about like you know confidence in any way it you grow confidence just by by doing things you know you can't there's no growing confidence without action yeah Right. And well put, well put. Another way to say it hits home so well. <laughs> what are what are some um other blocks that people have that keep them from living a more joyful life? Oh my word. I think at the root of things is always fear, but fear shows up in a lot of different ways for us as human beings. Because of what you see with all the self-help books and the self-realization points of focus, I believe that shining a light that we as in the Western psyche, I can't speak for the East, but in the Western psyche, that there is a, a, a very deep 
wound around self-worth. That there, it's a process to learn to believe we're, we're worthy. We're worthy to even ask the question, what do I want? I mean, that's major. How many of us human beings have to work towards saying, wow, it's okay to even ask these questions. That really points to a systemic challenge in our culture around self-worth. That keeps it. The second, which I think it, we, we know, because I, I, I can see in social media out there a real uh, spoofing and also a grave looking at how much our society, how much we construct and we reinforce false ideas about what it means to be a full human being. We've set up structures that only a few um, that it can work for, that have the kind of personalities. You know, if you look at different personality types, you'll see that not all of us are meant to be in a capitalist free market entrepreneurial mindset. Like there are some that that works really well for, but there are others that work really hard and deserve to have the stability and the freedom in their life that they're working towards and for, for themselves or their children or their families, their partners, but they're trying to fit into a mold of the way it's, it's sold to be done. I mean, how often you'll see a, a quick, you know, I made $5 million in this way, and I'm going to teach you the three things you need to do to do it as well. Well, that may work for somebody, but not a majority of people. So we, we've narrowed down on only limited, limited paths towards stability and happiness and uh, narrow mindsets around it. And as we're evolving as human beings, what we're really called to know and understand is what am I meant to do? How am I meant to go about it? Without diminishing the huge economic and society stressors that are out there. And it's growing even worse, right? Cost of living is rising Wages aren't rising. We have a lot of real reason for deep, deep stress. But many, many great thinkers who have pioneered new thoughts, Einstein's one of them, they say, you know, it's not through thinking that we come to the solution. It's through opening to the genius of ourselves. And that is a non-cognitive process. So as much as we as individuals cultivate more of a spaciousness so new new ideas can come forward new uh insights can come forward until we do that we'll find ourselves contracted into trying to fit into these these systems that don't work and aren't working right they're working for a few but they're not working for for most not not in the way they were intended yeah definitely um yeah, I, get, I think that's like something that kind of comes up sometimes with um, in kind of the self-help sphere. I feel like um, a lot of advice um, isn't going to work for someone who's like in survival mode. Like if you're if all you're trying to do like is like put food on the table for your family and like pay the rent and things like that. Sometimes like, I feel like there's advice that's like out there that's just like, how's that going to work for right a lot of people you know, <laughs> kind of thing. It's true. And I, um, I think that comes in all of our different spheres, if you will, for instance, I don't have TV. And so I'm someone that doesn't engage in political conversations or in, in other sorts of conversations that I think you really need a deeper, deeper grasp of the complexity. But as somebody that's a spiritual leader, what I do see is those weighing survival needs eliminate the time to be able to even reflect more deeply on 
what system do I really support? What would really help? It's so easy to hear these, these answers. Well, you know, you just need to take a stand for this. Well, that's a pretty loaded, that's a pretty loaded agenda to have when you don't have the time to look at, well, actually, if I make this choice, is it hurting this choice? I mean, life is complex. And I think it's in the small steps that we begin to discover the new pathways towards living a life with greater happiness. I work with a lot of people that uh, aren't six, seven digit income makers, eight digit. And, you know, I work with mostly people that aren't of those higher digits of incomes that would give more space. Most of them are like that. They are, they are needing to work more hours than what is physiologically healthy in order to maintain an even base level of stability. And I think it's in the very small steps that the person can begin to hold the whole of their situation and move the emotional trauma that gets held in the cells, free up the neural pathways so the immune system can get a boost. Uh, like we're, we're composites. You, you, you can't ignore the needs of yourselves uh, with a noble spiritual aspiration, but you can take small steps so that all of what you are can begin to be operative. So I do think that even when you're needing to be in survival mode, there are ways to, to live that life with greater equanimity that ultimately then leads to greater joy. I mean, look at all the third world countries where you will see people who are really don't even have a home hardly or have two pairs of shoes and the happy, some of the happiness is undeniable. That points to something, right? Doesn't it point to something? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that we as in a Western society have been very conditioned to prioritize certain like there's certain things that we value more than we should for seeking actual happiness and um i think that definitely plays into how unhappy so many people are is that we've been conditioned in our capitalist society to value things that shouldn't really matter that much you know right right I totally get it and looking at humanity real change has always happened through grassroots revolution significant change has been when individuals resulting in numbers growing let the dissatisfaction lead towards saying sometimes no more right no more of this I'm done. And sometimes what about this? Let's try this. And I think one of the ways that, um, you know, is even as Americans, there's so much complexity to the pros and cons of our setup as a country. But one of the things I think that is a great blessing is we still do have the freedom to uh, do something like nonprofit work. Uh, and, and, and little, little steps like that, not the big steps where you found a nonprofit and you're the entrepreneur and you're shouldering it all, but in really small little ways, or we still do have the freedom to watch videos that make us laugh. Uh, you know, laughter is, and, and there you go back to that fun laughter is proven over and over again, that you can heal through that joy. There, there was, I think it's on The Secret, the movie The Secret that came out many years ago. I think it's on there. But there was a woman that was diagnosed in stage four breast cancer, and she healed through laughter. She concentrated. She and her husband chose only to watch programs that made them laugh, and they made sure they watched a certain amount every day where they'd sit and they'd really belly laugh. Now, that is saying a lot, Right? So that there are little things that we have access to. We are fortunate um, 
in many countries, but especially in America, that we can choose something small like that, that can create a healthier, uh, a healthier self in our lifestyle. I mean, that's really beautiful that it, you can like change your, your cells by the choices that you make, because so many of us for sure are, are just always stressed out, you know, kind of thing. And that's, I, that definitely affects your, your cells. Like I, I, like I was, I used to work with people with dementia and there's definitely multiple reasons why people get dementia. It seems like from different research and stuff like that, but it's all like, I think all of it basically comes down to like inflammation ultimately, Mm. either from diet or, you know, lifestyle choices, but also like, I remember like having, you know, some of the residents having so much anxiety you know and and I imagine that even like before even before they had dementia like they had like these neural like they had probably conditioned their neural pathways to be anxious you know like it's like condition like you're anxious all the time even before you had dementia kind of thing and just always being like in stress probably you know it hurts your 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 whole body kind of thing (laughs) Um, do you have any tools that you help people with that, um, help them to get out of the fight or flight stress of like every day? (laughs) Yeah. And I love that. And first of all, thank you for your work, uh, in that area. I know the, the cases and the, at least it seems like the numbers are growing that are beginning to suffer dementia. And I am full on board with you that inflammation, uh, I could see that as the primary cause or a big contributor and the inflammation coming from other things that, uh, that are operative. Absolutely. So I, I, when I was reflecting on our podcast today, I've come up with a number of things to share here, but I'd like to offer uh, this context in that each one of us is really unique And what's going to work for one person doesn't work for another. So over the years, I have cultivated thousands of tools. Um, I'm not an individual that's gone just long and deep into, let's say, Qigong. You know, like I love it, but it's not like my my only tool. But what I do is I I learn that and then I learn little things. I'm going to teach you one thing today uh, that can help move energy. Because what we're talking about, when we're in fight or flight, we're like this. And we may have the best intention ever, right? I'm going to make it through. I believe in the goodness in life. We may even have a a faith in something outside this life, but we, we, we hone down on it. And that very movement itself is stress on our bodies and our minds and our hearts. So moving energy is what we want to do. So I've I've been, because of my own path, I know that being able to help people means being able to hear them and help them. So I thought of a couple different things that uh, are are nice tools. And maybe if you're listening, you want to try like one or another of these tools and see what happens. Uh, And know that there are, you can go down the rabbit hole. So if I teach, I'm going to teach you a breath exercise. If you're finding, well, that's pretty cool. Google it, start learning of the tens of thousands of different breath practices you can do. (laughs) But finding someone to work with can help you also kind of get there a little quicker too. That's why people invest so much in coaches and all of that too. So moving from the fight or flight. So let's start with two, two breath exercises. Now, what we're doing with both of these breath exercises is we're allowing the focus. So anxiety and depression and any form that goes into those, any manifestation means we're locking down onto something that's increasing our stress. A breath exercise is going to 
soften the clamping down onto these things. Like, let's say I'm worried about making rent next month. We're clamped onto it. Breath helps redirect the focus so that literally there's a little breathing space and also refreshes the souls. So the soul, the soul. All right. So if you're listening, whether you can see this or you're just listening, I'm waving my hands right now. So what I want you to do is I want you to bring your hands up and I just want you to wave them. And you can keep your eyes open or closed for the sake of this podcast. I'm going to keep my eyes open, but closed helps because you can focus on the hands and do that. Just focus on the hands, focus on how it feels it's like, wow, what does that feel like? How do my wrists feel when I do that? Do I feel the air around my hands when I'm doing it? That's pretty interesting. Do I feel coordinated? Do I feel uncoordinated? <laughs> When you do it more and more, it gets kind of harder and harder in some ways. (laughs) All right. And now let the hands come to rest with the palms up right on the lap. Your left hand on your left, your right hand on your right leg. Palms are up and close your eyes and bring your focus on the two palms and wiggle the fingers. Just focusing down. And now when you're ready, let the palms be the place where the fingers and thumb curve inward. So you're forming two very soft fists. You're not clenching the fist, but you're just letting the your digits fold inward like a soft fist and bring your focus to the breath. Focus on the inhale and the exhale. The inhale and the exhale. Focusing on the breath. Now after the next inhale, bring the inhale and stop and hold the breath for a moment. And as you exhale, open the palms, opening the palms on the exhale. And then as you inhale, close the palms, inhaling, closing the palms, exhaling, opening the palms. Inhaling, closing the palms. Exhaling, open the palms. Inhaling, closing. Exhaling, opening. Now stay with it and keep your focus on the palms, but make sure the palms are closing on the inhale and opening on the exhale. We'll stay here for just a couple rounds. Now keeping this rhythm going on the exhale, release tension. Just let it flow down your body, your arms, out your hands. Inhaling, receiving life through breath. Exhaling, releasing tension. Inhaling. Exhaling, release. Inhaling, receive. Exhaling, release. Inhaling, receive. 
exhaling release. And then let the hands stop and let your focus on the breath stop. Keep your eyes closed and notice what's shifted in your body, in your mind and in your heart. Great, and then open your eyes. So how is that for you, Lelania? That was, that was good. It was definitely uh, relaxing and definitely a, a breath exercise that I had never done before. Oh, so good. It was hey. <laughs> You've got a new one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so much to learn always. So much out there. <laughs> so much. <laughs> so right. Totally. So the second breath exercise, and we'll do for a shorter amount of time, um, it has to do with breath holding. Have you done breath holding exercises? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that holding our breath does, and we're going to hold the breath after the exhale, not after the inhale. One of the things it does is it releases and or increases nitrous oxide in the brain. What this does is it clears. So, you know, the brain can get very anxious on figuring out problems. And what nitrous oxide does is it, it it's like a windshield wiper. I mean, that's my phrase for it. It comes through and it, it clears the patterning that's clamping down and increasing anxiety. So in, even if you're in a neural pathway that's filled with stress, going around and around and around. Maybe when you start to do this, maybe it will only help just for a minute after doing it because the pattern is so strong. But if you stick with it, eventually the neural pathways will begin to change and you'll experience less stress. And when we experience less stress inside, what happens is we experience less stress outside. And then new solutions show up in our lives. So what we're going to do is I'm going to do a breath count and it's going to be on the count of four. So when we begin, we're going to, and I can't do it and count at the same time. So I'll be marginally participating, but it'll be like inhale, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four, inhale, two, three, four, exhale, two. So we're going to do a little one round of that. And when you're inhaling, I want you to inhale as fully as you can. And then when you exhale, I want you to exhale as fully as you can. And then there's going to come a point not long after that I'm going to say after the next exhale, hold the breath out. And I'm going to encourage you to hold it for as long as you can. And again, there's no right or wrong. You just hold as long as you can. Then we'll take a little sip, little sip of air. Then we'll take the inhale. And we'll imagine light moving up our whole bodies on the inhale. And then we'll hold the inhale just a little bit. And then we'll relax. And doing three rounds of that can be very, very helpful. But we'll just do one for the sake of modeling it. Okay. All right. So close your eyes if you want to. You don't have to, but it can help. And let all the air out. Oh. And inhale, two, three, four. Exhale, two, three, four. 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 Inhale, two, three, four. Exhale, two. 
three, four. Inhale, two, three, four. Exhale completely out. Exhale out, exhale out, exhale out, and hold. Hold the air out. Hold the air out. And if you get a little urge to breathe, just take a tiny sip and exhale out again. <sighs> Holding the breath out. And now when you're ready, inhale in a large way and imagine light moving up your whole body all the way to your crown of your head. Pulling the light up, inhaling, inhaling. Hold. And exhale. Ha. <laughs> so that was something you could easily do in three minutes in a day and it will make a difference. Yeah. What did you yeah. think of that one? <laughs> um, I real like, well, I've realized this before that I, I don't breathe that deeply a lot of times. And so it was, it was, it was, it was kind of hard for me to like really like hold, like get enough in and then hold and then like get enough <laughs> out and hold. Cause I'm just like, Cause I like, I definitely like, I, I breathe, I breathe too shallow, too shallow. Like, I know that like, it's kind of a lost art. Breathing is a lost art. You know, like people just have started, like people breathe really shallow now than they used to. So I just need to relearn how to like, really take, take breaths. <laughs> right. Even that alone, you know, sometimes when I work with people, I'll just invite them to do that. Spend a whole day and notice when you're not breathing. And then don't get hard on yourself. Just take a minute and breathe. That alone can be so transformative, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, when I do notice, I'm like, okay, breathe. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So this is an abbreviated, and again, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not a breath expert. I'm not a Qigong expert. There are many things, but what I have devoted my life to is meditation and contemplative practice. And that is where I help people come into a place of silence and stillness with themselves. Because that's where we discover happiness. So everything I learn is all at the service of that. So that's why I try to learn as much as I can. So just so if you're listening, you know that I haven't spent my whole life only learning breath work or something. So this is a, a moderated Qigong exercise and we don't need the names or anything like that. And what we're going to do is we are going to move energy. We're going to, we hold a lot in our chest, in our shoulders. We, we, we hold a lot. And what we want to do and what we can do is we can do these little breaks, even if we're, we're working away and it's going well. So even if it's not stressful, we still tend to hold energy. We want to move that energy. And when we move it, we become more flexible in life. So this clears the mind, this clears toxins from the body, and it energizes us. And very simple. You can just do it along with me. I'm going to try not to hit this mic. Do it along with me. You're just going to take two fists and you're going to start tapping on your, on your chest. Let me move the mic a little bit. There we go. So we're tapping here right below the, the collarbone. And you're going up a little bit right on the collarbone and down into the chest. And back up and down. And do it with as much firmness as you possibly can. So you're not hurting yourself, but you're moving. You're kind of like, wake up, come on, wake up. And then we're going to move, take the left hand and start hitting on the shoulder. So we're tapping on the shoulder, tapping up on the neck, tapping on the shoulder. And then we're tapping down. This is the yin, the passive receiving part down the inside of the arm. Clap the hands, move on the palm, come up the yang side of the arm, 
up into the shoulder, tap on the neck and down in the shoulder. And right in that hard part that most of us get those knots. And then again, tap down the yin. We're moving the energy out the body. We're energizing up the outside of the arm, the top and the outside, the yang. And coming back down. And then we're tapping right below the collarbone on the left, collarbone on the right. And then taking the right hand and tapping on the right shoulder up on the neck. Yeah, there we go. And the yin down the yin channels and up the yang. Very nice and tapping. Ah, remembering to breathe as you're doing it down the yin, up the yang, energizing. And then taking the fist back below the collarbone and then tap, going back to tap a little bit and relax. And take just a minute to notice how energy is moving in your body, which is what are you sensing? It may be what you're feeling, but sensing is more than feeling. Notice where you feel the energy moving, not moving. And there we go. How did that feel? I mean, that was fascinating. Like I, like I did, I was like, oh, I feel more energized. <laughs> like, I was, like I felt like kind of like electricity moving through my body in a way. And I was just like, oh, is this how it's supposed to feel? <laughs> like <laughs> That is awesome. Isn't that great? Yeah. Right. And we did that like in two minutes. <laughs> yeah. That was like such a short, short exercise, but I was just like, I felt like a big difference. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> okay. So I've got two more. Do you want any more exercises? How are you feeling? Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We can definitely do, do another couple of exercises. Okay. All right. So now this one is, has everything to do with focus. We're trained and we have a habit with our eyes, with how we look at things to narrow down. We narrow down on a screen. We narrow down on a piece of paper on what's written. We, we're, we are trained to be very goal specific. And I mean that literally and metaphorically. And this exercise helps cultivate a bit more of a perceptive way to be in relation to things rather than a targeted in way. And it's simply called soft eyes. So what I want you to do is find any spot. It could be on the computer. It could be in the room that you look at that spot and focus down in on that spot as hardly as you can. What I mean is so specifically that you try to rule out seeing anything past that spot. You can't do it, but you, you focus so that you're trying to do it. And you're looking really intently at that spot. And now keep your focus on that spot, but soften to let in the information that is about a foot on either side and top or bottom of that spot. So now you're focused on the spot, but you've softened to actually let in more, more into your visual field. And then broaden out a little bit more eyes on the spot, but softening more to let out maybe two to five feet all around that spot. And then begin to soften even more and let as much as you can come in. So as much in your peripheral vision that can come in, eyes are still on the spot, but you're actually perceiving and noticing everything in your entire visual field. Great. And now as you hold that openness, 
notice something without moving your eyes from the spot that maybe you haven't noticed before or you're noticing anew right now. It could be a light, a feature of the room, a shape, a sense of the air. And then release the gaze from that spot, looking down, keeping the eyes open, and just notice the room, how the room feels around you. And then lift your eyes. <laughs> so what was that like for you? I was really, it was interesting. I like, when I was like kind of broadening, there was like a bird that flew by outside. And I was like, oh, oh like I was like, I noticed that bird. <laughs> that is like perfect. We, we staged that bird for this podcast to yeah. fly by right at that moment. <laughs> That's great. It was good That's to like really... notice it without like, being like too super attuned to it. You know? Yes. Yes. See, and that, that practice creates a bit more dispassion. So there's care about everything outside of ourselves, but it's, it's lighter. It's a little dispassionate. We can cultivate an ability to bring that into any stressful circumstance. And what that does is that allows us to come from a place that we really want to come from with greater freedom. Yeah. So, yeah, very good. Good. Well, my last little tip, because my, my big belief is that as we change our perspectives, everything can change. Mm -hmm. So there's practices and there's perspectives and perspectives is where we really, really, really change completely. Practice leads us to that change and can do it instantaneously. But the, the lasting value is that we change in our relationship to ourselves and life. And this has to do with how you can frame each moment. So my meditation technique that I teach is built on this three point process, but you can use it for anything. Like, let's say you're going into a really worrisome business meeting, somebody you've got to have a discussion with that you just are uncomfortable with for a variety of reasons. You could bring this practice into that. You can bring it into anything, how you drink your morning tea or coffee. And that's a three-point process of centering. And the first is the choice to enter into that, whatever that is. So let's say I'm laying in bed and I wake up, I'm choosing to begin my day. So I'm entering into that. It's a formal separation from what I was doing. So if I'm going to have my ritual cup of coffee, I can stop in the morning. I'm still in bed and I say, okay, I'm really, I'm leaving this that I was doing and I am moving into this new experience and you frame the new experience. Then what you do is you enter into the new experience completely as fully as you can. Oh, I'm going to have this cup of coffee. I'm going to enjoy this cup of coffee, period, 100% there. Then the third step in that is then after I've enjoyed the cup of coffee, I've let myself enjoy it. I haven't drank the coffee while I think about a lot of stressful things. I've taken time to enjoy the cup of coffee. Then I, I move from the coffee in a new way. Oh, I've moved from this cup of coffee. It's complete and relax in the completeness and recognize that in some way you're a little happier. You're a little more relaxed. You're a little more centered. Then you move forward to the next thing. Now that sounds complex or it sounds high maintenance. Like, wow, I'm going to spend my whole day like framing every single moment. But what the practice does for us, and it's proven psychologically and sociologically is it trains our brains to expect better things. When we, when we move into something with intention, when we do our best to be there for the experience, 
we are shifted, even if it's just a little bit shifted and we move forward in a new way. And when we recognize we're moving forward in a new way, we open the capacity to be different. That's where a lot of the framework for meditation practice is, is based on, is that if you have a practice, what's going to happen is in the practice, slowly, you're going to build enough trust in yourself that you're going to change, you're going to shift. But I have found you can do it anywhere. You can, you, maybe you're working at home all day and you need to go to the grocery store. Ah, I'm leaving this moment. You exhale the leaving, the completion. Gratitude's a great thing to throw in there. You may or may not have the ability to at the moment. And I'm stepping into this next. And I'm stepping in with an expectation of something joyful happening. And then you have the experience and that comes to a closure. Again, gratitude's a great way to have a closure. Wow, that was really wonderful. That person that I that I talked with about oranges was really sweet. A moment of gratitude. Then that comes to com completion. Three-point process of centering. Yeah. Yeah, I like um, that way of looking at things because, I mean, one, it like, you're you're doing things intentionally and having like presence with it but two it's like even when things like the th there's like things that like sometimes it's like oh I don't want to do this it's like instead <laughs> you're not being like a victim like I I have to do this it's like I get to do this yes instead. yes it's such a good point it's such a good point I get to do this I get to do this Yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> so we're about the one hour mark, but I want to, so I want to respect your time, but do you have a little bit more time? <laughs> let me take a look. I've got a, let me see if I can let this person know. I have got a meeting in just a couple minutes. So how about if we take just a couple minutes to bring things to a closure? Um, can I ask, uh, so I have one question I always like to ask everyone. Yes. How do you define fun? Oh, I define fun as that quality or that experience, that experience that is always available to us when we tap in to the playful, innocent nature of who we are at heart. And, and fun can be a way we are in any circumstance. Uh, even when it's grave and solemn, there can be an element of innocence there that, that's, that's open, that's, that's open. So fun is open, it's playful, it is uh, joyful, and it is infectious, it's contagious. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to let you know that if anybody through your podcast chooses to buy my print book that's now available on Amazon, I will offer a free 30 minute session with me uh, to learn any special techniques that they may be looking for to have a life of greater fun. Wonderful. And uh, what's the title of your, of your book again? Miracles in the Naked Light, and it is available on Amazon, and it's in my profile, but I can also send you the link. Okay. I will put it in the show notes. Great. Yeah. Well, th thank you so much for being on. It was beautiful talking to you, um, and you gave, gave us so many, uh, you know, nuggets of wisdom and tools and I, you know, I really enjoyed our time together. <laughs> I did as well, Elenia. You are wonderful to talk with. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank Keep you. Up I hope you work. have a great rest of your day. <laughs> Thank you so much. You too.